Hi, Jeremy. Hey, Raph. Oh no, I went back to Raph. I mean, hey, Raphael. That's okay. <laughs> I, I, as long, well, as long as we understand each other. That's right. The minimum amount of syllables, syllables needed. Yeah. What's up? What are you up to today? Um. What am I up to today? I I don't know. We just hung out. Just <laughs> easy day. Just, just spending just... time together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Me I took a, I took yeah. a very non-work weekend away to like the countryside. I went. I, went yeah, I saw some there. nice photos on the Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like first snow. I mean, we're entering our six months of winter. What was here the area? It, it's called PEC or something. Oh yeah, or? Prince Edward County. It's sort of this okay. area. It's an island, but it's part of a thousand islands district in Lake Ontario. Is that where the dressing comes from? Uh, (laughs) I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, I think actually I did some research on that a long time ago. Some magician put ketchup and mayo together and (laughs) called the Thousand Islands dressing. Well, it's a very posh area, Raphael. Okay. But it is kind of a funny area because it's like wineries and like yuppies kind of that have moved away from the city because it's within two hours of the city i'm gonna start a winery but spell it like whining and you just go there to wine they had one of those there yeah yeah (laughs) but it's also i don't like this (laughs) exactly that's perfect there's a market for that yeah for sure but we were visiting some friends who recently moved there from the city a lot of people are moving out of the city here and even in toronto i know it's a common thing for new yorkers but when a city gets too expensive. And, and when people have children at that, yeah, that age? It's, it's a yeah. combination of kids and wealth and like housing prices being too expensive in cities. And then people are like, whoa, I could have a mansion in the country. I could just like throw out, like get this farmer off the land and I'll take over the whole place. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's actually a really nice community. There are a lot of artists up there. So we were just hanging out with some friends. And I, I, have, yeah. a, I have a big question. Mm-hmm. I know that you got the new iPhone. Yes. And so my big question is, you as a person extremely <laughs> afraid of showing off, uh, how do you feel to walk around with a phone where everyone can see that you have money? Oh, no, I was showing it off a plenty. In fact, I got called out for showing it off because I'd be like, oh, yes, let's just look. <laughs> and I took but, but pictures do, do side by would, side in, with people. In a while, pic- you'll feel self-conscious if you're in, let's say you're in Germany or something or in the Netherlands and you're flashing around your fancy. Right. <laughs> well, like There was a point where I was talking about... Uh, like sort of a topic about helping others in like poor communities and stuff. And I was talking about it with another artist, like this artist who's pretty cool. He like works with Drake and he's like doing some recordings with, you know, indigenous kids from the Northwest Territories. And then he's like, is that the new iPhone? (laughs) We stopped everything. (laughs) But I was able to take great photos in a dark room there i was with there were children i was getting all these great kids shots and the parents were like how'd you get such great photos and i said well it's just an iphone 10 spend a few (laughs) extra dollars but and but i'm I'm just i'm very curious always about your guilt so do you cover it up so people can't see you You know what i was thinking about the the guilt because it also looks like a piece of jewelry because i got the white one which no one seems to like but i think is great it looks like a bathroom like like you yeah, know, yeah, you I like that it's, one. Yeah. it's like chrome and like white tile. I feel like I'm in like a posh bathroom every time I use it. It's very clean feeling. Mm. Um, but anyway, I was thinking about the price, which wasn't that much with my like plan subsidy. I think it ended up being like six or seven hundred dollars. Is that a lot of money? But then I was thinking like that's not a lot of money in comparison with I bought a like an SLR camera. Three or four no, years ago. No, I, I understand all that. It's just funny to me. The, your <laughs> persona and you, you, make, you make this communist uh, phone case and all this stuff. And then you're like, but Raphael, oh, what, like, what is the cream of the crop that capitalism can offer me? <laughs> but how can it, I save the world if I'm not able to communicate? It's, 
Yeah, it's just very funny to me, our generation of artists who are explicitly politically aware in their work. Yeah, but I'm going to use it in my in my performances. It's yeah, like a laptop. Yeah. I made I, a lot of excuses. I, I understand now, all that, but at the same time, it's funny. So it's, yeah. It is funny. I find it, like I said, I was in conversation with someone else. We were talking about Barack Obama because there's this foundation that he has and I, there was an opportunity for me to work with him and this guy was working with him. He's like, and then we were talking about the iPhone like two seconds later. We were talking about like helping mm-hmm. these communities. So, I mean, maybe I should just give it, maybe I should just give it away. Yeah. <laughs> but I figure if I can make more money with my phone, because I used to have this, people used to say the same thing about laptops. You remember when laptops first came around? I was like, oh, less performance and like just so what? Like you can be, you can work in a coffee shop or whatever, right? So there's like the portability was sort of sneered at as like a luxury. So yeah, for I also a while remember I used when, to like when... lug around a huge, like huge desktop case. Ridiculous. I also remember when uh, airport cards came, you could put those in your non-Wi-Fi MacBook. Right. A and then it was like, oh, that's kind of a luxury, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. So but, I just think um, it's practical. To to this week's episode. Yeah, to this week's episode. Okay, so actually it's not that far off We'll just do a very efficient discussing. segue. We just... Throw yeah. it right in. Well, so the, yeah. this week's topic is efficiency. Yeah, you. Well, I. I think you want to talk about efficiency, and I, I'm. I'm curious yeah. why. I mean, it's I. It's an I urgent spend, matter. I literally think about it all day, every day. But I think that you're the only person, the only artist I know that's good at it. Well, it, regardless of whether your own practices, I find it a very fascinating and ironic topic. And I. I used to write blog entries more. I, I, since I do this podcast, I feel like it's a better way to get my thoughts out. But. Mm-hmm. I wrote this short text about the irony of efficiency. Mm-hmm. And the irony is that uh, humans are doing stuff, then somebody figures out a trick mm-hmm. and saves some time. So, okay, mm. I can do this task, but three times faster. And yeah. as long as you're the only one who knows the trick, you're faster than the rest. But sooner or later, everybody starts using the trick, whether it's a product or a service or a mm-hmm. skill. And then it's not anymore that you're faster, it's that you're slower if you don't use the trick. Mm-hmm. And so um, you would think with efficiency we would have more free time. That's just the big irony to me. We just fill it with more tasks, though. Yeah, yeah immediately. Like that second. As soon as you figure out a workflow, you <laughs> automate something like, okay, I can start the next company. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's like, I mean, it's the only way. There are different ways to make money. <laughs> one of them is to reduce the amount of I mean the biggest one is to is either charge give people less money for doing something or give them no money and the best way to give them no money is to not have them no, do the thing at very, all that, no true. that's not true <laughs> it's true it's to automate a task right no it's, no no there's anything say, that would have been a, a manual saying, operation okay okay I see what you mean because you're hiring you're hiring a computer like I, you know we've talked about Clayton Christmas but you could also before. you could it, it, there's one way that, yeah, that's adding efficiency. So you're, you're adding efficiency, you're getting rid of redundancies. The other way is to create desire for something people don't even need. So that's the opposite of efficiency. So if, and, the, right. and that's where art comes in. It's like, well, you need this. Yeah, well, I just spent a weekend, you know, in the countryside. There's nothing efficient about that. It took me two hours to drive to the middle but, of nowhere. But it, it, it helps your soul, and that makes you well, a more productive uh, <laughs> artist. Yeah, Yeah. well, that's the thing. That's where I think maybe what the good point will go today. I don't know if it will or not, but what you're thinking, it sounds like, is like 
art is not about efficiency, right? It's about, it's it, like going to, to the countryside. It's about no, finding but it, yourself. It, no, no, because it, it is and it isn't. So it, There are no sh- shortcuts to human experience, is what you're saying. I think art is also very much about fascinations. And I'm just fascinated by efficiency. So it becomes, but when you think of something like poetry, and especially haiku, you could see that as a very efficient art form with very little waste, mm. very little waste of materials, very, very little waste of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, like someone else needs a whole novel and, and another person can say, address something and, and move you or uh, yeah. do something in, in five lines or one page. Or I mean, this topic comes up a lot with us I mean, and yeah. we've talked about waste before, right? Yeah. And, I mean, I, I don't know how we can, because we're not writing this text and we're talking, but there's so mm-hmm. many angles. So the, one of the angles is, is uh, capitalism and how it's always searching for new efficiencies and what we call disruption. So, okay, there's a redundancy of labor or production. There's a process that can be optimized and that way we can make more money than the competitor. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. You or, know who's famous for that is Walmart. The, Walmart was like always yeah. about cutting, 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 cutting. Like well, one of them was the, the name itself. I think his last name was longer, but he's like, no, let's just do Walmart. I don't want to spend so much on on more. Than I know seven his first letters. name, Sam. What's like Walmart? Sam Walmart? No, funny <laughs> 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 that was his name. Yeah, it's Walker or something. And then he 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 didn't want to do Walker Mart. He said, oh no, that's too much. Let's just do Walmart. <laughs> But apparently he's like famous for, of course, cutting salaries, but also like even in their offices, like using deck chairs instead of office yeah, chairs. Yeah, yeah. Well, stuff. IKEA is the same. Like they, <clears throat> they're very tough on their employees not getting fancy hotel rooms or first class flights. Everything has to be as pared down as possible. It's the spirit of the company. But the, the whole joke of capitalism is they'll uh, make their end as efficient as possible to sell you as much as of crap as they can and things mm-hmm. you don't need. So um, on their end, it's efficient, but what they're adding in your life is like, oh, no, you don't need one box of cereal. We'll sell you 12 boxes of cereal for a reduced price. I mean, that coupon. makes sense in inventory-based businesses, but in non, like, that is to say... Yeah, but it doesn't make goods. sense when you when you have humans who weigh five times what <laughs> they should weigh. Like, that's not an efficient use of food. Oh, I thought you were going to say, like, the equation doesn't make sense when the goods you're delivering, so the, uh, you know, are, are are digital, therefore the price is invented. So, like, okay, the, pri- okay. the price yeah. at which... I, I mean, it's it's just, it's. A, I don't know how we can structure this podcast, because it's, it's, <laughs> so, it, it's so embedded in... Every, one of the craziest things to me is this this author, Tim Ferriss, who, who wrote the yeah. four... Four-hour four um, work week. Yeah. yeah. And it's just it? it's just a funny result that we invented all this automation, and then one of the new thought leaders is someone who who will make your life more efficient by turning all those machines off. But Tim Ferriss is also like that. You need someone to tell you that. Yeah, I mean, he, that guy's you know, in a way, I mean, he's not a yeah. He, so you do practice four hour work week because I feel like as an artist, whenever I think of I you, have a four minute work week. <laughs> four yeah, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people, because you finish your work, you always tell me like in the morning and then you spend the afternoon sort of going to the movies and stuff like that. But yeah, that might yeah. just be a mythology that you're trying to promote. Tim Ferriss sort of says similar things and he talks about, you know, different lessons around how to, have you read the, the four hour work week? Do you want to summarize it for the? Uh, it's kind of a clickbait book. Uh, I'll preface it that it's way. the original clickbait book. Well. Yeah, because it's it, it turns out and, and the the ending of the book is funny. So he he lays out the plan how you start an online business, find something that's cheap somewhere, and that you c- 
create a marketing around and automate the shipping and mm -hmm. those kind of tips. And they, I'm sure they make sense for a lot of people. But the end of the book is funny where he's like, well, you've created this online business and th that probably means that you're getting depressed because you like to be around people, but now you have an independent business on your own and you have these virtual assistants and you don't really talk to people anymore, so you should start doing volunteer work. Is that, I don't <laughs> That's remember the ending that of the part. book. Like The mind turns <laughs> inwards because you spend too much time alone, so yeah. go do volunteer work. Well, it's funny because Tim Ferriss famously uh, suffers from severe depression and he was suicidal yeah. at one point. Yeah. yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> Because he had figured out, figured out how to make money for nothing. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, so when I think about efficiency, it's really, really hard for me to avoid my life in design because I'm, I like literally just before getting on the podcast, I was finishing up a presentation that I'm giving to some people tomorrow about like how, you know, innovation processes and innovation processes in general and in business, you know, generally you're trying to mitigate risk. You know, you're trying to fail fast. I'm sure you've heard before. So you can succeed faster, basically, right? Like fail as fast as possible But so it, that you it, can win more I, often. I, sometimes these cliches get repeated by yeah, yeah. consultants so and people so, at conferences, but then it yeah, turns let me unpack. out like, yeah, let, yeah. Let, let me unpack it because that's, yeah, that's the short form. And so like, You know, the one hour version that I'm not going to give you, though, is that there are different risks inherent in entering any new market, right? Like you're fulfilling maybe an existing need. Maybe you're trying to disrupt, right, by like just changing the solution to the product. Maybe you're identifying like a new problem or maybe you're inventing a new problem. Like, I don't know, maybe you're getting into the dongle business if you're Apple or something like that. Yeah. And you But might invent a problem. Yeah. To, yeah. to sell a desire, stuff. like you said, right? Yeah. Um, and so, but in all those cases, you're not sure if you're going to be right, like about your idea. And generally speaking, the waste comes in and like efficiency because how can you find out as quickly as possible before you spend a dollar? So it's either do time or money, right? Time or money are always part of the equation. I've never had a business meeting in my like 20 years in agencies and product design companies where at the end of the meeting it wasn't like can we get this a week sooner and for half as much money, right? It's always the same two things. Um, and so those are always do, do the two things. Do you mean things. When, you, when you're negotiating with another party? Or? Yeah, exactly. Or even internally, like with a stakeholder or something like that. It's like, could we get this sooner? How could we get this faster? Like literally every week there's some like mandate, like we got to go 10 times faster or like increase the urgency. Or it'll be like, can we do this with half as much money? You know, those are always the two asks. And so I'm, I always like, I'm one of the few people that ever gets excited about that. because I'm like, Ooh, I can remember as a kid, like my favorite thing to do is my mom would give me a chore and I'd figure out how could I do this in half as much time so that I could get back to playing with Legos or whatever. Yeah. So like, I remember she would ask me to like rake the lawn, which is a huge task because we had like this country property and it would be like decks and so anyway. And so I, I had the same thing with like trimming green beans and I would get the scissors out and do it yeah, really fast. Yeah. Exactly. So you'd figure it out as a kid and my, like I, I remember putting I made a huge rake. I put a two by four behind the rake and I was able to rake the whole lawn in one pass. And I was like, <laughs> I'm done in two minutes. Like why are why is everyone doing this like labor? And some it's it's interesting to watch because I think there's a certain generation not a generation of people. I guess there's a there are groups of people, including my father seemingly <laughs> who like to do work and like at the end of a hard work day can kind of complain about it i hope he's not listening yeah, but he'll yeah, be like yeah. i just worked for 10 hours like raking leaves and i'll be like but you could have done it in five minutes like what's wrong with it well i, 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 need, I have the I same need the thing work. yeah it's funny when you see your parents using the computer and you're like no just hit that one button <laughs> yeah, and it'll save you seven thing. days of work <laughs> exactly like why yeah. do you sign up for this punishment so maybe there's a meditation to you know to to that kind of, of being efficient means As soon as I'm finished the raking, I have to do another thing, right? But 
The same thing's true in business. The thing is you're trying to take as many risks as possible. Like the idea, you know, even with all these accelerators like Y Combinator, right, where they're like trying to uh, bootstrap and like get a bunch of startups going, they're they're usually running like I think their current cohort at Y Combinator is 10,000 startups, right? The idea being that only like one in 10 of them will even have a chance of like succeeding Um, and probably only one in a thousand will be a huge success. But it pays off in the long run. Yeah. yeah, So by like doing 10,000, you get like 10. But it's yeah, it's almost like organisms absorbing energy and uh, taking in sunlight and trying to output some other form. And when I think of a creature like Amazon as an organism and it's just super efficient but at the same time it's it's destructive and Mm -hmm. and pushes things it pushes things on people that they don't need so it's efficient for itself but it's not efficient for the bigger picture well i think we're living in a somewhat different time though we've uh, i could make an argument against this but like if you were to go back to sort of industrial age just 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 to phrase phrase it more it's almost like the efficiency is an attack on the other side. It's a, mm. it's a, it's a war strategy. So it's it's not throwing bombs, but you know, like, we'll, we'll outperform this. I mean, there are definitely efficiencies in like in war that are horrible, tragic kind of yeah. efficiencies. Did you ever see that Robert? There's that like uh, uh, you know the guy that does the Interrogatron. The um, what's the the documentary maker, his name, he did this documentary called Fog of War about McNamara, McNamara, the like the head of defense in the, or the military in the United States during the Vietnam sure. World War. You know the guy that does the interrogatron? Uh, what's the documentary filmmaker's name? You know, like he has Ken that Burns? Mach- no, it's not Ken Burns. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to use Google. I'll put it in the show notes, but uh, I'm sure his name, uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But the documentary is fantastic, Fog of War, because he interviews the guy that was basically responsible for like firebombing um, Vietnam and for all of like these like this sort of crazy amount of um, of death and destruction. And he talks about how he was an economist before he you know worked in this in the field of like killing people basically. And it's so like the tragedy of this movie and the way it's filmed is like you're watching him realize that. You know, he was just figuring it out all as efficient equations. Like, if we did this, we could kill this many people. If we it's did like that, it's like game theory. Yeah, and so he he had done all the best calculations, and then in it was like for for forty or fifty years he hadn't considered the consequence of his actions. And then on film, you see his, him realize like, you know, what he's done, and and that he didn't have to do it that way. And you know, it like you look into his eyes, and you don't feel pity for him, but you feel like. You under you know he didn't he finally do you, understands. Do you see himself. a moment of realization in him? Yeah, you see that moment of realization, and you're like the fucking asshole because <laughs> he's getting what he deserved. But um, yeah, anyway, there of course there's a lot of stories from uh, Nazi Germany too about that. It's not nice stuff. Um, how did we get here? How am I going to get out of this? <laughs> well, I, I was talking about how in business efficiency can yeah. be a very aggressive thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that is right. So like. Often, like, you know, in business, the cliche is, like, just fire a bunch of people. Um, and that's a really... Trim uh, the fat. Yeah. yeah, trim. Yeah, exactly. Like, trim the waste. And the first thing to, you know, to trim, the most expensive thing in any business is salary. I've worked in businesses that have gone bankrupt, and it was always because they had too many people. Um, and if the people aren't productive, right? And the funny thing is, it's usually management's fault. <laughs> like, and in Lean Startup, which is, um, you know, the kind of the fundamental Bible for, like, uh, efficient um, startup kind of management. 
they, they they proclaim like one of their key values like that management is a technology like that there's a kind of that, that like the actually managing an organization properly um, is a part of how you are innovative and how you can be more efficient but most so it's of the, the time, same it, like a decision where you choose what platform what language to use for coding and, and no it's like what how style you, of management how you work with other people i mean like in software the big innovation was the agile manifesto and the agile manifesto as a group of developers got together and they they said hey like this is ridiculous like the way we're working is so inefficient we're in meetings all the time we're writing documents and specifications and like then most of the time we're wrong by the time it gets to market because it took us so long to write documentation like so much of the software world used to be built on these things called specs and on all these kinds of documents that would go back and forth in this sort of waterfall process, which was like one team, one big team of product managers would hand off a specification to designers who'd hand off a specification to the developers. And then Agile, you know, encouraged people to get together on a team to work in relationship with the customer, not with management, and to work very quickly in these iterative cycles without any documentation um, and to just like into favor, you know, pr product like producing over documentation. Um, and that was like really revolutionary and, and that's why all software today is sort of built that way. There, there are exceptions to this and there are people that do it poorly, but generally it netted so much efficiency because management is generally an inefficiency, um, because it, it, but it can be efficient if, if like, if created properly. But if anyone has taken leadership classes knows that when a team gets like to its ultimate efficiency, management should really get out of the way. Hmm. Um, but the it's, problem is it's the same with teaching. Yeah, exactly. Same with teaching, actually. Yeah, if you're the teacher, right? Like, get out of the, you know, get out of your students, you know, get out of their noses if they're doing great work, right? Like, just encourage them and let them go. But, like, set them up for success, obviously. And, and then you're supposed to set ambitious goals, right? But that's what a lot of managers fail to do. And because, and they want to get in the weeds because they feel like they're they're paid more. And so to, like, justify being paid, they should, you know, be involved. Anyway, that's why most managers are the first people to get fired. Middle management's always the first to go. And, and I'm a middle manager, so I should know. <laughs> like, job's, like, always on the line. Um, yeah. But I, I kind of digress, except to say that, like, it's not, just, um, it's not just about getting it done faster. It's also about how the work is structured and how and, people work together. And do you still uh, look at your day-to-day -day outside of your work with just your daily routines and think, like, how can I optimize things? Are you constantly tweaking your home or your laundry routine or the way you cook or the way you do groceries? Or... I'd say a little bit, but not as much as I should, considering how much time I spend restructuring work at work. Um, because I think, like you said earlier, my like home time is my creative time. And when I'm being super creative, I, efficiencies have not led me to necessarily good things. Maybe you have a different practice, but in my artistic practice, a lot of the fun has come from making mistakes and doing things the long way. Um, and discovery. And so process of just experimenting um, without a goal, seemingly wasteful activities have netted really interesting results from time to time. And there's yeah. a sense of play in that. Yeah, and I, I'm interested in also in the different uh, media choices an artist makes. And that if you think of the history of conceptual art, it seems like internet art is a logical extension of that, of ideas being not too burdened by a physical form and being able to travel to the, the viewer. Yeah, and you could try a lot of ideas really fast on the internet. Yeah, so you would think, okay, that's a very efficient form for art, mm -hmm. and it's a very efficient way to create things and, and show it no to your storage. peers. Yeah. But it turns out it's not very efficient once you get to the exhibition space. If you want to 
show your work together with other media, then all of a sudden the room is too bright, the equipment's very expensive, and it turns out that the painting is so efficient in the exhibition space. You just need one nail and it hangs. Mm-hmm. Whereas the AR installation is so inefficient in oh, the yeah, exhibition true. space. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I just I and, mean I installed a VR show a few weeks ago. It's like, oh my God. Like you just, just want to cry, yeah. Well, yeah, like even setting up the computer to automatically start properly every single time took like a whole day of QA, right? Yeah, like yeah, a yeah. quality, you know, the testing process, making and, sure and it runs photographing reliably. it is really hard. It's not so yeah. photogenic. No documentation. Uh, doc- it doesn't work in dark. Uh, and when you think of performance art, it's very efficient in the moment. There's, yes. uh, it's very intense in the That's moment. That's why I love it. It's yeah. like it's just a pure act of creation. Yeah. yeah. And so it's a very direct uh, artist to audience connection and... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's very efficient in that sense, but then when you look at the distribution, yeah, it's impossible totally, to document. Yeah. So how do you build upon the ideas no, of others? No, it's not efficient. There's no so, scale. It's not yeah. scalable. But yeah. then I, I know the frustrations <laughs> of painters where they're like, "Well, I make the painting, it gets exhibited once or twice, but after that, it's just documentation, and I can't scale it. I can't change the scale of the work, so mm. it, I can't extend it into an exhibition or installation, or it's very hard and." Yeah. So it, it, but don't it's you just funny. sell it? Don't they just sell it? Isn't that the whole idea of painting? Like just sell it, and then it's not. Like yeah, but ideally, you you want the you're, you're making a grammar for other people to to build upon. And mm-hmm, I see. Um, it, then I know that if they might look at media art and think like, wow, that same work can exist in five exhibitions at the same time around the world. Yeah, here's what I'll say actually. Like, because I just sent some work off for an exhibition, it was like. Uh, you know, loan agreement done, great. And then it's like three links on Dropbox. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And I, and I did like that for three exhibitions that day or whatever. And it's like, okay, I'm done. Like, And, I, yeah, and there's no like, insurance or damage yeah, to the Yeah, they're like, what's the like cost? That? I was like, it's $0. It's a link on Dropbox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unless you somehow get my login and password. And but but those, those things are, for me, metaphors are the same way companies operate where yeah. Something that might seem a very efficient decision might be a completely disa- complete disaster. Like you would think, okay, the the smartphone is a very efficient device, mm-hmm. so um, you don't have to go to the post office because you can send an email or a text. Turns out it it's so good at getting your attention that it's a destructive ad- device and takes away your creative energy. Yeah, yeah. So it it, it of course when they. Every time there's a new phone, they're like, this one's even more efficient. No, it's, it, it sucks you in even more and you're even more addicted and uh, you're binge watching more and, you're, uh, and you feel terrible because you're just consuming stuff and you're not creating stuff uh, and you're shopping more. And so efficient for what? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know there's a pushback against that, generally speaking, you know, among probably, a gen- you know, our generation of people who are like going to like meditation camps and like hiking more than ever. And yeah, and I, th- I always look at that actually as like, you know, the introduction of uh, the industrial revolution led to the first leisure class, right? Like the first group of people who had additional time. You mean time. what, what aristoc- aristocrats had before? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, but exactly like prior to that only, you know, yeah, exactly. The, the 1% of the 1% or whoever was the aristocracy, whoever, own the most slaves or whatever, probably was the only one with free time, right? Because they just displaced their labor, usually yeah. through slave labor, right? Well, yeah, it, it gets, you can go very far with it with efficiency because then I remember going camping and uh, mm-hmm. it, it was uh, camping without a campsite. You call it wild camping or what do you call it in English? Oh, what, glamping? Is that what you call it? No, no, like no, camping without camping? a campsite, like just camping in the wild. 
What? No campsite. Oh, you just call it camping. Okay. I mean, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, we went camping and there was no shower and nothing. And so after two days, we're, we really looked like homeless people, just completely mm-hmm. covered in dust and you're... You're th- five shades darker, and you're okay. People who hadn't showered, I guess. I don't. <laughs> yeah, but especially if you're hiking and walking around, and it was kind of a dusty yeah. environment. Okay. And then you look around; there were seagulls everywhere, and they were so clean. And right. then you think about humans: how many machines we need to keep clean, and and they're so efficient because they just live in their habitat and just uh, operate mm. perfectly. Don't you so, think that, like, as humans, so we it's might... it's, but it's funny that humans like go everywhere around the world to places that they're not optimal for. I mean, that's not the main, main human features to go where it's uncomfortable. Hmm. And then to create a lot of devices to be comfortable. I see, yeah. I mean, so yeah, it's, it, it, that's a very funny contradiction that you, you were born to be like hanging out at the beach, I guess. Maybe that's the most optimal thing. But you're like, <laughs> no, let, let's go to the cold area and like build... Coats and houses and fires and uh, all these things. Yeah, I mean, like the most efficient thing you can do is uh, die. So <laughs> no, no. But if if you th- if you think of a of a a dolphin or a seagull or a sardine, yeah. it, it, you don't think about efficiency or inefficiency. It's just optimal. Like, and well, here's the thing for them. Like, this does all come back to labor in a way. For them, like they are thinking you're actually over glamorizing their life so first of all a seagull's life is mostly about going out looking for food right and so mm-hmm. is the dolphin like so mm-hmm. most of the day is like a work day like, oh man like if i don't keep looking for food i'm gonna die yeah. and so i or better keep going yeah, yeah. <laughs> my kids will die too gotta keep up gotta keep going oh i'm so tired no one more one more yeah but oh, that, I, that, i'll take a i'll take a leisurely the only thing jump I, I will say is that th- <laughs> that sort of extreme pressure of doing stuff keeps them healthy and clean and they don't need a gym they don't need a shower they don't need a mm-hmm. car they don't need a school like all these things we invented and then we're trying to optimize those things yeah i mean we had so as soon as we invented automation right like maybe you know the first tool is like in, increased our capacity to um eat right like as soon as we figured out farming like suddenly not everyone needed to be working to find food. We didn't need to be foraging anymore. That's what I'm saying. And so like, then we had the, you know, a division of labor and like, what could we do with this extra time? I know, like we could create armor. Ooh, what will we do with that? We could kill people. Okay. <laughs> so we could steal that more food. It's like, yeah, that sounds like fun. Uh, <laughs> but eventually that led to the industrial revolution. They're still killing people. They're, you know, the war machine gets started. They're also like then automating a lot of other jobs. The most efficient weapon ever, the atomic bomb. And then there's kind of a, but actually, I think it's like one of the nice things about humans is like during that time too, you know, there's tons of bad. So it's like 99% bad. But then the 1% that's good about it was like sort of the sense of curiosity and adventure, which is like, you know, like to to journey into the unknown, which is a totally inefficient. Imagine like yeah, you're either may, well, maybe, it, it, maybe you're in the, Asia yeah. or maybe in your Europe and you're both setting out for, you know, North America. You know, you're the first people if you're the indigenous people to arrive and you're like, why did you even come here? Did you come looking for food? No, the, a lot I of think the Vikings came there and then just went back. They're like, yeah, that's cool. right. <laughs> I did hear that. Well, yeah. we know that here in Canada because there's like a famous like archaeological site. Like, yeah. yeah, they're here, but they didn't last. They died or whatever. They took off. Um, yeah, so like what led them to do that? Was it simply like it would have yeah. been much more efficient to just hang out? But it, in... yeah, it, it, all this just makes it, it I just look at, at humanity in astonishment and just think about how strange we are because we're so far past survival. We're mm-hmm. so good at surviving. We just keep procreating and the species keeps increasing. If you just 
think of the goal of a gene code to procreate and to. Keep... But we're so bad at it too, right? Yeah, but but you could if you look at absolute numbers, we're really just nailing it. Year you're making after year. Your, you're making an excellent point, which is like, or maybe I'm trying to make it, which is like, if we didn't do all of that, art wouldn't exist, right? Because art only exists because we don't have to forage for food. I mean, yeah, yeah, no, it's go- it's it's a what do you call it? Uh, in a, there's an economic term for it, but it's a excess labor or no something like it? that. Yeah, yeah, but either like I don't think you would cave paintings. Can, some people might say they were art, uh, and maybe they were, but I feel feel like they're actually hunting instructions. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. like, it's like school. It's like a chalkboard. You're going to starve to death. Here's some ins- yeah, here's but some there's rules. there's definitely something you you can see young animals. And and play is a very big part of how, uh, like, if you see cub lions playing with each other, and there's a very cute videos of that. But they that's learn only in childhood, right? Yeah, but they learn about their bodies and how to move and how to mm-hmm. attack and how to play through play. And so I think play, in any form, is like a has an educational mm-hmm. value. So making music and making art, I think those are extensions of, um, and. The further you specialize, maybe some people are better at play than others. And, and, but I think play in its basic form is a necessity. It's not a luxury. I think. But you're making a point that's like a tension in the world, or at least in the world of business that I also live in, which is that if you're seen, you're seen to be inefficient if you're playing, right? So if you're having fun, yeah. If you're enjoying yourself, if you're happy at work, you're seen as inefficient, right? Like, shouldn't you be less happy? Because then you'd be more productive, <laughs> Yeah. right? And but production at the same time, is tied if, to if, unhappiness. If, if you're only focused on efficiency and you're not inventing a new category. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is the mind works differently in both modes. Like this is, you know, there's science behind this, right? Like that the mind, you know, in a, in a creative context, in a play context, is using a different, you know, part of the brain than one that's working in a task-oriented context, right? When one is when one is focused vertically, one can, like, complete the task in a set amount of time, but one can't think about creative solutions to doing that task faster. So there are there is actually efficiency in play because the app, the it's basically a process of experimentation. Yeah. Which takes me back to my earlier point. But it's about risky. Like, I think I think a lot of risk business, exactly. That's where we're back. We're back but, to risk. But I think a lot of business people, most business people are only interested in optimizing what they already know. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, in, in general, it's very hard to go for something where you're not sure where you're going. Well, because business is a process of like focusing, right? Like the most successful yeah, like, businesses yeah, are like you, the you, most focused. You, you find a cute town uh, local restaurant and you're like, well, we love this, but how can we scale it? Yeah. yeah. Well, let's take the step back to design for a second. Because like one of my favorite designers, most people who are listening to this podcast, if I as I, as I begin to announce this name, will be like, yes, of course. Like the best designer ever is like Dieter Rams, right? The and Dieter Rams. The D, <laughs> Dieter Rams, like famously, you know, has, you know, had product, his philosophy for design was like, you know, the perfect design is like work is less design, which is to say, like, you remove things until you get to the essential focus. And then Dell came along. Form. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, does like an Apple is like picked up. There's Dieter a very Rams funny video like, of, of like a, a documentary of Michael Dell, the same way about Steve Jobs. Uh huh. And it's like inspirational videos where there's a meeting. It's like, yeah, make the laptop bigger and more fans. Should we perfect it? No, it's good the okay. way it is. <laughs> I do want to say for a second, like come back to my iPhone, which is like they added this um, thing called Face ID to it. 
Um, I've been using it for a week, so like or a weekend. So there's just some reflections on efficiency related to this because Apple's picked up like the Dieter Rams, Rams mantra as their own like design language, right? Which is we they also we picked take, up lots of visual cues. In the, yeah, we take yeah. away and we take away. So on this stupid phone, <laughs> they've taken away the home button, right? Like they've ta- so it's like all screen or whatever. Because because it, it it broke for a lot of people. If you use that button all the time, they want to take yeah. away any moving parts. But the home button had the like touch ID, and so like that's how you unlocked your phone and stuff. Um, it's how you moved around the applications. But actually, I have to say, like, so for this face ID thing works really well. Like it works all almost all the time. It gets better and better. And I'll say where the biggest efficiency is. I don't know if you use Apple Pay, which is like, mm-hmm. you know, Apple's like NFC, like pay with your phone technology or whatever. But you're basically, you used to have to like hold down, like double tap on the home button, then hold your finger over it and choose the card with your other hand. Now all you have to do is like, you basically just double tap a button and it's already recognized your face and you just tap the phone on the card reader. Yeah. And it all happens like within like less than a second. Um, and it's like from a, it's an interesting to talk about efficiency in regards to that technology choice and like the transaction. It's basically efficiency in UI and service design. Yeah, and also like the efficiency of like me losing money, but <laughs> yeah. So that's the funny <laughs> like, contradiction. Like you, you can make a machine that's really efficient at photo sharing. It's so, really good at taking my money out of my bank yeah, account. <laughs> but when, when you think of the mobile device when it came around, it, it had a little camera. Nobody knew that mm-hmm. was going to change politics. That camera and that was going to yeah. change how we see ourselves and our identity and Instagram and Facebook and all the different and Snapchat, all the different ways that we start comparing each other around the world and you mm-hmm. feel miserable because all these other people have these amazing lives. Mm-hmm. I used to have to send a pile of photos to make, you know, with like snarky messages. on. <laughs> but <laughs> Wish you were so, here. So, nah. yeah, the, the camera keeps getting better. It can shoot yeah. in the dark and all these things. So it's even more addictive. So it gets more efficient at, uh, at what? That's, yeah, that's the funny question. It gets efficient, but... You're like, well, it's a good point I would make is that because the applications are designed for specific tasks, it gets more efficient at completing the task, but it gets worse and worse at creating opportunities for play and experimentation. Yeah. And that's one argument we made on the podcast before. The problem with these like walled gardens or closed systems is that it, embedded in them is, are no systems for play. There are very few. Yeah, I mean, like the when, camera when is you one think of, of early HTML, the, the possibilities yeah. were quite limited, but there was still There's so many. There's tons of play. Yeah. yeah. It was very playful. When you think about the early web, it looks very playful. But that's why the most, like, what's the one thing that they advertise on every phone now above all other features? It's the one most playful feature of every phone. What is it? It's the camera, right? Yeah. Like, the camera is where, and so it's a, it's a good lead into your advertisement. You have, didn't you just, like, ah, like a camera yeah, here we go. <laughs> so I was just thinking, because you created this camera this week. I saw in the App Store for, like, a blurry camera. Yeah, because I... like I, a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, the whole premise is that it's really hard to make a blurry photo because the, the cameras are so fast at focusing. But they have that bokeh effect, right? <laughs> yeah, but you'll still be in That's focus. They... And I think Dan Keller once wrote a tweet that it's a sad thing that as we get older, the cameras get sharper. Oh, yeah. No, I know. I took a picture with this new like portrait mode on my iPhone. The new selfie? <laughs> Like I, I was under like some kitchen like every bright lights, detail. and I was like, "Whoa!" Like I can see every pore and wrinkle. Do I look that old? I was. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the last time I looked in the mirror, I didn't feel this way. So yeah, Apple. there's an efficiency. Yeah, yeah like, <laughs> it's like the studio lighting. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there's a funny thing where a lot of old photo technologies mm-hmm. are much more flattering. 
Can you change the blur level? Because when I was using the camera, it was like very. It was very blurry. It was yeah, like, yeah, no, that's the whole point. It's it's a, it's it makes it's everything like a, abstract. It, yeah. it felt like a painting, like by um, was it who is it that is it Richter that does those blurry? No, who's yeah. the one that does? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Richter does. The it's even blurrier paintings. than that. I, I think it kind of. For me, it was also a relation to my lenticular works, where it's just, mm. you're just experiencing colors. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, I remember before I had glasses, I got glasses very late in life. Like I was 20, over 20 years old when I got glasses. So I went through high school. I was just starting university. I couldn't see the blackboard and I never calculated that I needed glasses. But I remember getting glasses and feeling like the world was so ugly. Even as a young man, I was like, mm. wow, I'm hideous. Like, cause I could see my pores. I could see <laughs> other people too. And I remember yeah. thinking like, I didn't know people were so ugly. And previously I had always made, I was a painter when I was this, like a teenager like I did a lot of impressionist painting and pastel drawings and stuff like this. And I stopped suddenly when I got glasses because I like stopped seeing this like impressionist version of the world. Well, you, like, you were in dream world and then you, all of I a sudden was, you woke up. Yeah, it was horrible. Anyway, I haven't, I, I haven't been able to return yeah, to that. That's the funny since. thing about this whole woke movement. Like who the hell wants to go out of the dream world? <laughs> right yeah right like just stay ignorant stay blurry <laughs> stay woke yeah yeah oh yeah it'd be like stay blur yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's it's spelled blur but with the uh, five r's if you it i think it's easiest if you search my name on uh, the app store or if you go to newrafael.com there's a link mm. in the universe you have like a universe of applications like under your brand name oh now. there's three there's three apps there's uh, finger battle which mm-hmm. to my knowledge is the world's uh, simplest game yeah and then there's here here, which turns uh, images into melodies. That one is free, uh-huh. and, the, and then there's blur. And so the the other two are one dollar. I don't know if it's okay to talk about this, but I'm working with some people on a show. I don't know if that's good enough. Okay, I'll just put out the concept. But like, there's I'm working with some people on a show, and it's going to be like a gallery that's in the app store as an app, and they're going to release new like every opening is going to be like they change the it's a notification. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I was thinking in terms of uh, efficiency, it's like a pretty cool idea, which is like this idea that... Yeah, I that, disagree. What? No, but I was thinking like, hey, you don't need a show anymore. You just need to click update. <laughs> no, it's, it's it, whenever whenever there's niche organizations and they want to do an app, I'm like, no, make a website. It's much, much more... Mm. It's cross-platform and there's nothing to install. Well, I have to use Unity. They force, they're forcing me to use Yeah, Unity. no, like, forget about it. There's only one tool. Well, I'm going to do it anyway because I'm like, I w- I'm interested in like, in just like the idea of a show that's an app release. I can't believe no one's done that before. Yeah. But I, I want to, of course, I want to look at uh, art for a second mm-hmm. and from a, the, the, the lens of efficiency. Yeah. And when we think of art for a long time, they were trying to find not only the most efficient, but the the most detailed or ultimate rendering of reality or representation of reality before the mm-hmm. photo camera came along. Yeah. So um, the best artist was the one who could make hyper-reality on, on flat surface. But wasn't, there were like tools to help people make art, yeah. realistic art faster. Which were like, which were like trade secrets. <clears throat> so you would have guilds and they would know like about concave mirrors and you can project yeah, like there those. Yeah, like, there were like little mirrors, that prisms yeah. you could look through so that you could like yeah. see but the then, But then the, the photo the camera scene. comes along, mm-hmm. uh, the, the great disruptor. Yeah. At first people are of course like, well, paintings are way cooler, but... Turns out people don't want the the ultimate hi-fi version. They want the most accessible, fastest version. So that became photography. So then mm-hmm. the artist just scratched their head. Is like, oh, well, what are we supposed to do? Like, 
oh, we're going to make the most fucked up images. Like, the, the, worst, the worst representation of reality. Not the sharpest, but the blurriest and the weirdest right. and the strangest. Um, So-called impressionist. Yeah. But in efficiency for me, it's abstract art and conceptual art. And both of those, are, when you think of, of Malevich and the, the, the black square, and when you think mm-hmm. of Duchamp's uh, toilet, both mm-hmm. those seem as very efficient works. Oh, right, yeah, because like I, I was about to make they're, that they're point. They're like a tiny gesture that create a whole new river of possibilities. So it, there's yeah. all these people, everything that came before, but those things are like just the the, the easiest, simplest, most fundamental, no skill, yeah. nothing, just a gesture. I think it's a really good point. Because like an original, before the camera, like you might spend a year or two years on a portrait, right? Like getting it just well, right. Well, you would like spend a lifetime da yeah. learning to see. Yeah, and you do the apprentice because a big thing. a big part of learning to draw is getting rid of all preconceptions of what came before because you think oh there's an eye that's probably round and the eyes are at two thirds oh, right. of the head no if you start looking the eyes are at the half of the head there's that book drawing on the right side of the brain yeah have you read that book so you it's basically like, want to yeah. untrain yourself all the the ways you thought it's, it's a the lifetime representational of ways you see because yeah. most people see a representational version of reality at least when they try and well, draw, most, right? Yeah, it's like shortcuts. They don't you don't see the de- see the, the outline. No, it, it, it's like when you look at your phone, you don't see the icon of the app. You tap it to, to go to the app, and mm-hmm. and you're learning to stare at the icon. Mm-hmm. If that yeah. makes sense, yeah. like yeah, it like it, normally if you go to a supermarket, you don't look in amazement at an apple. You think, oh, that apple tastes good. I'll take it. Yeah, we got cut off for a second. We were talking about efficient gestures in art history. Yeah, so yeah, in art, so you know, like abstract expressionism or like impressionism actually was like a shortcut, right? It was like a faster way. Yeah, yeah. You know, the camera actually unleashed this like the efficient. It's ironic. Camera unleashed these like efficiencies in painting. So like, it's it's way faster to do an impressionist painting than it is to do a realistic painting that you take years. And Van Gogh made twelve hundred paintings in ten years. Wow. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so then that, yeah. and then like Duchamp managed to have like three careers, <laughs> like a different types of work. Right. A, yeah. yeah. And then like you mentioned, uh, like, you know, the sort of, yeah, well, like Solowit making works. murals with a team and like spreading his work that way yeah. and uh, all these different ways of, uh, trimming the fat. And so that the trimming the fat was like, maybe they, they used to have a painting would take 12 people to make. And now mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, or when you think of Warhol, it's like, oh, it takes so long to paint them. Why don't I just silkscreen them? Yeah, no, actually, Warhol's a great example. We always have to bring him up in an episode. But yeah, eventually you get to this point where even with digital reproduction, like, you know, we have we know people that do paintings in Photoshop and then they might print. The funny thing is we've got to this point. I think the efficiency is over, though. Like, people are spending all this time to create these, like, digital masterpieces now, which actually take quite a long time to produce. And then they print them, sure, but they only have, they have to do like one of a kind because like no one will trust the value of the thing. Um, and so there's, there's more the- at play there. Like it's it's not just the value. It's also that if you decide that it's a, a unique, mm-hmm. then um, you you approach the image very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm just saying like the digital makes it theoretically possible for well, it to be I'm, I'm infinitely saying, inefficient. Yeah, but if, if you were a digital painter and just focused on Tumblr and you would just publish your work as JPEGs, that would yeah. be a very efficient, efficient distribution. 
Oh, you know what though? I'm gonna, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna leapfrog that statement. I'm gonna say like, generative art comes along, yeah, and they're like, guess what? The artist doesn't even make the art; the <laughs> computer makes the art now, yeah. right? Like, so let's automate the whole generation process. And so there's people like Manfred Moore who like, and then and then like subsequent generative artists that we've talked about. And so, yeah, what you, happens you, after you generative art? Mach- and then there's AI. Yeah, like, you can make a machine that uh, every. Uh, it just renders compositions, and every two hours it freeze frames and, mm-hmm. and makes a rendering with a painting machine. You can imagine things like that. Yeah, isn't that the end game though? Like, isn't that where it stops? Well, because like, now but, but, like it's completely out of your control. The hand is gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the the funny thing is when you look at efficiency, is efficiency for what? Efficiency to produce a large number of work, or efficiency to make a statement that stops people in their mm, tracks? Good point. Good point. Which is like. It was never about the hand. It was always well. It was about also never, idea. never about volume, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, the secondary market would dis- would disagree, but like, yeah. So, what's the goal? Is it to have impact, or is it to create market value, mm-hmm. or or is it to experiment, or is mm-hmm. it to you know? The, and and many of the goals are contradictory. So, efficiency kind of means specifying what you want. It does seem to me though that like there has been a reversal and like people where value is concerned appreciate the quote unquote authentic that is to say the hand is more valuable than the digital right like so seeing the the imprint of the, the human precious, imperfection yeah. yeah the precious like well same bespoke. when you think of people collecting vinyl and it's a, a very well because you inavi- just said as well like when you think of it as a if you, if you think of it as a one of a kind, though, you you treat the image differently as well, right? You look you at it differently. That. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you look at it differently. Well, it, and so it, through that process, I mean, I of saw looking, that very clearly with my own work, where um, I started making lenticulars, and I have a large web audience. I thought, oh, I can make tiny prints, like maybe letter size, and then mm-hmm. sell them cheaply, and everyone can have one. Mm-hmm. But it just meant that I. Uh, if if I did that, then you're like a small business with large volume of each piece. Right. And right, so right. you're spending a lot of time on inventory and marketing and sales and administration. So that's not mm-hmm. an inefficient use. Uh, uh, that's not an efficient use of, of my time. And mm-hmm. if I make uniques, then each one has to be different. So I'm forcing myself to uh, uh, yeah. every time to reconsider. You're, re- you're reminding me of like this famous, uh, well, not famous. Like I remember seeing this interview with Yoko Ono. Or reading, I can't remember. Um, and she was talking about the difference between her and John Lennon, right? They were partners. And she would come up with like an art idea. And it was like a very, you know, it'd be like an amazing idea for like a small gallery performance or something like that. Very inefficient by your definition. And then John Lennon would come along and be like, brilliant idea, but let's do it in four cities and, and invite the news media and put up billboards in every city. And like, let's create a big spectacle. Let's make it, it pop. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, basically, and we talked about pop uh, art in previous episodes, but basically, like the most efficient thing would be for the most people to see it, at, you know, all at once, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, like, it's the opposite of like the Mona Lisa, where if you have to go to the Louvre, and it's like everyone, you can't even see it anymore, right? Like, I actually don't think it's possible to see the Mona Lisa for real. It's anymore behind because like. 12 centimeters of glass or something. Well, not only that, but it's behind 12 rows of people, right? <laughs> so it only exists as a performance at this point, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. And therefore, it's not really possible to see the work. Um, apparently, they just sold like a new Leonardo da Vinci for like, anyway, sidetrack, fi- like for 500 million. Did you read that mm-hmm. last week? Mm-hmm. Um, like the fact that they're discovering new arts, yeah. new artworks. Might be- anyway. but, but yeah, so it's efficiency is, is very tied to goals. So it, it, I often think of when you think of efficiency in art is like I'll see someone making a work, but 
there's a lot of baggage around it. Like they'll they'll talk it up too much, or they present it mm. with too much around it, or um, there's too much academics around it, and they don't let you just have an innocent viewing mm-hmm. and just be confronted with the work without too much around it. Or maybe mm. the work itself is too complicated. You're like you mm-hmm. you what you're really interested in in this work is just a single aspect and the work is too multifaceted. So that's another yeah. way of looking at efficiency. I was reminded of that actually last week. I, I think in performance with... art, that's like you want to get rid of when you think of Hamlet uh, or uh, those kind of plays, that's performance no, 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 art yeah. too. But in performance art, like, oh, I just want to talk about the performer sitting on a stage and moving around. And that's what I want to focus on. I don't want to talk about to be or not to be. I think you're talking about like something that's really important that I've realized as an artist and that I have difficulty overcoming as I like continue on in my career, which is that every year I feel like I have to outdo myself from the previous year. But when you're young, like, and so the work gets more complex and I'm always disappointed and audiences are always disappointed too, because it becomes harder and harder to actually understand the work. And I'm reminded that when I, when I first started out as a young artist, it just took a simple pithy concept and people loved it. I remember, you know, like the work, the best response I've ever had to my work is whenever I like just strip it down or when I do something very quick, well, it's fundamental I haven't had research. time to overthink it. And, yeah. and when there's too many variables in the research, uh, when you think of uh, a simple example, if, if you're thinking of like, how does color change through different types of glass and you can measure mm-hmm. that. Okay. Yeah. So, okay, this type of chemistry changes the color of of light in that way, and this type of... Okay, that's a a single variable. It's pretty easy. But when you look at Mm. nutrition, there's so many variables. Like, okay, how do carrots influence someone? Well, there's genetics, and there's the air you breathe, and the water you drink, and all the other things you eat, and how much you move. And so I am drawn to artworks that are more... that reduce variables. So that's the efficiency I'm interested in. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. I'm also thinking like, so I'm, I have a project where I'm working uh, in Chicago and I was working with a, a young artist. Well, he's not even an artist. He actually comes from like education, but he started like this brand um, where he's like, he's trying to like help uh, like basically at-risk youth in Southside Chicago. And his message is really simple and i was it's like when he talks it was so exciting to talk to him because his message was so simple for such a complicated issue you know and i and i kept reminding myself like how imp- you know thinking about how important that is right like to get the variables down he's you know to this like this simplicity it's the same his- in product design no like, like yeah. products are so so beautiful in the beginning they start out very simple and then mm-hmm. to obtain more market share you add a lot of features yep yeah, and then they become unwieldy. Like, actually, it's, you know, bringing it back into software for a second, that's like a huge thing we talk about all the time, which is like, we always, you know, we always want to do new, new, new. Everyone's so excited about new, but they forget that there's a maintenance cost associated with that. And, that, and the maintenance cost is not just technical. It's also like design language. It's also like in relationship with all of the other parts of this thing. Yeah, I now, you know, and so it's always the most controversial thing, but I'm always... You know, preaching but that we I, have to yeah. kill things and but I, get rid of stuff. I have to say that when I think about software, I do admire the big platforms that they can make so many ideas work together. Like, mm-hmm. if if Google was a company that stuck to their right. guns and only did search, it wouldn't be as interesting as all of the things you can do with Google now, where you can work on documents together. You can, it, it, or your iPhone would still just be a phone, kind of. Thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you're adding complexity. Uh, yeah, but it, it's 
in that sense, I don't know many examples of, of very complex artworks that I like. I'm, I'm very drawn to reducing. Oh, I know one. It, yeah. I mean, it's a super cheesy. It's called Planet Earth. <laughs> <laughs> a little it's experiment called the life called and called Times life. of Raphael. <laughs> it's a little experiment. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, but that's what we're talking about ultimately because the, we're talking there about is, There is that funny thing where um, when people talk about art, they, <laughs> they want to have a summary and say, so, so what's this about? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this artist is basically all about fucking. That's all it is because that's right. all we want. It's well, like, it's the no, so-called it's like, elevator pitch, right? Like yeah. every business person is also supposed to get like their unique value proposition down to like this one one line, like yeah. you know. And in the worst case, it's like it's Uber for pizza or whatever, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's yeah. such an efficient. It's Twitter for diapers. Well, what we haven't talked about, and we don't have that much more time to talk about it, but a lot of inefficiency in the world. And if you look at a lot of what you know, we call products uh, and design solutions, they're all designed to make communication more efficient. And communication is still the least efficient <laughs> part of everyone's day, right? Mm-hmm. And it's also the part of art that's actually the most efficient, in my personal opinion, right? Because like, if you when when you've experienced sort of like a transcendent piece of art, there it actually like it's no longer it's not about verbal communication yeah. anymore. It's not about written communication. In fact, you read the statement, you're like, oh, I wish I didn't read that. Or you read no, the review, I, I, you're I, like, I, oh, that I think we underestimate how far back our brain when it started and how long we existed before we used words. Mm-hmm. So there's there's such a big part of the brain that is nonverbal, right? Like, and we know, of course, that even certain colors were um, not really like didn't have words before certain times. And theoretic, I don't know. Actually, that's a bit of a contradiction because some people say like we couldn't even identify the color green, or you know, until we had a word for it or something like that. But I know where I'm going with that. But uh, I think you're making a good point, which is that most of for most t- of time we were non non written we we're using non written communication mostly like images right like the oldest languages are pictographic yeah yeah but even before languages just experiencing the world like like how uh, you experience the world before you talk Mm-hmm. I don't know how that was done. I actually, I'm not, I don't have the archaeological sort of yeah. information. But, but I, I assume it was figurative it, dance. It though. is. <laughs> David Hockney said something about the um, or interpretive dance. David Hockney was talking about if you want to critique photography, mm-hmm. the only real way to critique it is in its own language. So by using photography. So he made a lot of works where he would oh, he he would yeah. photograph a space, but he would scan the space with his camera. So he would take a thousand pictures of one landscape and put all those photos together and so it gives you all the different angles all because when you move your eyes around when Mm -hmm. let's say you're you're at the grand canyon and you're trying to capture that in a photo doesn't work Mm -hmm. it's not the same experience but it's not the same because because your eyes are always moving the same in the cave and three-dimensional space so that that's something he wanted to address and you can write about that Mm -hmm. doesn't work doesn't work and so once he does it and you're picasso said you have to think with your brush it's a totally different thing. So it, it, I think I'm still trying to wrap my head, but there, people always talk in art about art as a language, and it's a very mm-hmm. difficult concept to understand. I think I understand it superficially, but it's still very difficult for me. To, whenever artists always resist the word style, they say, no, I'm, I'm creating a vocabulary, mm-hmm. and I'm starting a dialogue. And they use all these words. Mm. All this language kind of stuff. Yeah, because it, 
and you're not communicating. It's not like mm-hmm. you're using your your. When you think of a, it's not an illustration, right? Yeah, but it, it's it, it's not a shortcut to a verbal explanation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's the whole difficult thing. So when you talk about efficiency, and you're like, I want to um, display a mode of thinking or a, a, a an expression of the human condition, and I'm this is the moment. I think you're making th- this yeah. is the moment I'm living in, but I just can't yeah. put it to words. But this, yeah, yeah, and it's not about explaining, right? No. It's more about well, you're creating you like, energy. Yeah, or conjuring or like connecting. Because I think what you said early on, or we've touched on it a few point times that's really interesting, is as an artist, you're often trying to get to this point of getting to another point, but you don't know what that other point is. Yeah, and, and, so, so, and so maybe at, at that point, that's the interesting thing, is that once you add goals and language and common thinking and business thinking to that, you're being very inefficient because you're stepping out of dream world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're actually, you're stepping outside of, you're trying to be objective about something that's completely subjective and completely unreasonable yeah. because it's not about reason. It's about, yeah. and, and, it's about and abandoning so, reason, and, and, learning to see, yeah. as you say. And so whenever you add business or politics or education to art, to me, it gets watered down. Hmm. Well, it's funny because I'm, I'm working on a project right now, which is sounds, you're going to say like, well, Jeremy, that's so businessy. Well, I'm actually like creating four businesses as artworks, but the way I've set up the process is I'm working with four artists who I, you know, I, I've just met, and the idea is that I don't know what the outcome is going to be. Like I'm just giving, we're just, I'm just training them how to build a successful product in business, mm-hmm. and so it's very deliberate. But yeah, the yeah, yeah. Ex, it's more, it's an exploration. Like so, but are you um, at what I don't know at what, what point could it be. become a successful business, and then what is it then? But that's what's so exciting about it to me is like, is the experiment or the like, the unknown. It's the speculative aspect that I, it's the next step yeah. in a, in well, a way, in a thought. I, I mean, I had discussions with people like, is someone who invented Twitter, like Jack Dorsey, there's a, a famous sketch of him sketching Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's, it almost looks like a conceptual art instruction. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. you could totally imagine an artist in the 60s saying here's a wall but you can only use 140 characters to express yourself yeah. and we'll we'll build rectangles for people and these and people live in these boxes and these boxes can reply to each other and people but that's why it, yeah, it almost no, sounds right, like a right. 60s conceptual art instruction twitter but, i mean i used to cringe at this but i'm gonna i'm gonna repeat it because over time it started to become more and more true in my mind which is like a lot of people the um, entrepreneurs I've met refer to themselves as artists and it used to really make me cringe but then I started working with some of like some really good ones that they they talk about a sense of purpose and a vision as like the most important thing and yeah the rest is details some of them are really gut instinct oriented but it's not gut it's like they're doing the same thing as an artist does which is they're sort of trying to persevere and perceive something that others don't perceive and it's also it's similar to art that uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're trying to get to a core and whether it's destructive or helpful to people is is not their concern they're like trying to make the best the best possible uh, version of what they think reality should be but regardless of I the think, outcome yeah i mean i think it can it can be both positive or negative like i don't actually don't assume that the artist isn't capable of creating, so, you know, social good because I think a lot yeah. of culture has led there inevitably. I, right? I, I think it would be interesting for art historians to look at the history of conceptual art, and you can find 
early attempts of Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all those things. I'm sure there's been artists who have said, okay, artists traditionally mm -hmm. make images, but in this exhibition, I invite the audience to contribute images, and I want those images to relate to each other, but let's all right. make square images so it fits in the gallery. I'm sure that exhibition has existed, and it was basically Instagram before Instagram. Yeah, but I'll, um, I'll take that one step further. And I'm sure that non-artists have also had ideas that we just don't perceive as art, but that are that surround us every day. Because, I, you know, I know this. Like, I know that the Bauhaus, you know, was founded by designers. And those are con not considered artists. But that was, like, fundamentally a conceptual art idea. Yeah. Right? Let's take, let's take industry and make it, like, aesthetic. Well, that was definitely <laughs> right? admiring uh, efficiency of industry and getting rid of, like... Let's not make the machine look like it's hand done. Let's accept the machine for mm -hmm. what it is and, and make yeah. a chair that looks like it came out of a machine. Yeah, that, and that changed the world. But on, that's, on that's an acceptance of efficiency because mm -hmm. art uh, for a long time was um, the denial of the material. Right. And so it was a very efficient decision to say, well, this material, we can, we can try to make it look like a photo, but why don't we just make it look like paint? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and it, I mean, it goes both ways. There have been there have been movements that have also emphasized the, even craft movements like arts and craft that have emphasized the hand over the machine. I mean, we've gone, yeah. we've done it like I, every single which way. I have this one way. problem in my work. the The visual language I chose is an is an efficient visual language. It's scalable. It's low data. It, it moves fast across the network, and it mm -hmm. uh, it renders like on the every geometric screen. shape with yeah. color and gradient, yeah. basically. Right? And so, on mm -hmm. a computer, it's very easy. But when you mm -hmm. paint, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to make a perfect shape. It's way more efficient when you paint to make a messy painting. Mm -hmm. So if, if, if I wanted to make a painting that had four circles, of course, it would be way more efficient to take a, a broom and just make, make it in three seconds. But it, it would just feel so far from what I do. But the, the logical, the same logic of like, what's the easiest way of making an image on a computer? And then what's the easiest way to paint an image? It, the outcome yeah, I mean, would be use, totally you're, different. You're going to have to use different tools. I mean, you're talking about the brush. I've never really understood why the painter painter's brush is like so standard. Because uh, it. What would you prefer? Uh, your fingers? Well, like no, we mentioned silk screening earlier, but you can also do like you could mask things out. You, we've talked about using an airbrush. Like I just don't understand. No, I, I it, think the a efficiency lot of, different... of painting is actually a transportation efficiency, and it's like a archival efficiency. Yeah, it's not. Yeah really about the brush at all like no I but i think into. the attraction of the brush is is the the performative the aspect of the hand. yeah but that's just like it's like it's like a fingertip basically it's like a long finger yeah like because no, it's, but it's closer uh, to the hand i mean you you painted before that the brush is very efficient when you want to mix colors and and make uh, subtle changes and mm -hmm. that's way harder than with a sponge or with a mask no but like let the helen frankenthaler you know who invented color field painting and poured paint and the way she did it was she like mixed paint with turpentine to make it thinner so she could cover larger areas yeah, yeah right? well they, so that she that's could paint, very efficient yeah she could yeah so she could paint a room-sized canvas in an hour right yeah that and that my paint bucket gesture. will paint in 10 minutes what you do in seven hours <laughs> well that was like a huge innovation in efficiency and painting like and it opened the door to like you yeah. know another 20 years of potentially bad yeah. painting but she was good she was she actually was like Incredible. Yeah. I, and anyway. I, 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 yeah, maybe we can close this a little bit meta, but I, I often yeah. think about teaching and then I think about this podcast as an educational tool. But 
it, it's such an efficient tool and it's just this, there's no tuition fee you can listen at any time and i'm not saying it's a substitute there's potentially for teaching, no but, education value yeah, that too, yeah. <laughs> so efficient yeah <laughs> <laughs> there wow. you go yeah well we do it no we no a but uh, today. Uh, oh what do you want to say no it, it, there's this funny thing where um no, I'm not even going to go there. I'm just, I, I just think the podcast medium is very underestimated by the art world. I know. We talk about that all the time. Yeah. And we, and we want to hear more voices in the art world get into Exactly. That's my point. Think. Yeah. Yeah. So there is uh, uh, no ad today. Well, you advertised your own app, but we do have a field recording from an, a listener. Uh, just a reminder, you can send in your advertisements, get free advertising on our podcast, which grows free every week. Free for no money. Yeah, I mean, you want to reach thousands of people every week on a podcast you want to reach that's almost educational. Thousands of, of hungry minds who are dying for new ideas. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Get your ad in, and you just the point is you have to make it sound like an ad. It has to have a call to action at the end, um, yeah. which we should do a whole episode on advertising. Maybe that's a good idea. What if it was an advertising episode, and it was full of just it's a tutorial? every listener's. Like it's no, it's just like a shout out to every listener, and then with some nuggets of advice from my life in advertising. I, I don't know. Well, you, you get to pick the next week's uh, episodes. So this was my choice, <laughs> and then uh, okay, next week we're doing we're going to do advertising. Sounds so, good. Uh, in this week's field recording, we got uh, we got a field recording from M. Wing- Wingren. That's right. Um, so, it's a mysterious I, yeah. person. We only know the first letter of the first name. <laughs> yeah so he but he sent or he or she sent in several recordings right yeah it's awesome it is uh, he or she sent in six recordings and so we or they sorry he she or they yeah sorry <laughs> or it or <laughs> this so this in, entity beamed uh data to us <laughs> it's true we don't know if this came from outer space um yeah. but it is from berlin actually it says here yeah so, so uh, after having the, heard most of the Good Point podcasts, this is like writing to my two friends who never know I'm in the room listening to them. Ooh, it's creepy. Yeah. And so, <laughs> uh, recording number four, Berlin, August 2017. My friend Luna pointed out to me that the checkout beeps at Aldi grocery stores sound like the melodic guitar riff at the beginning of 50 Cent's 21 Questions. Ooh, interesting. Aldi is a great um A very efficient uh, yeah, marketplace. It's the, okay. Well, I just have to say a word about that. Because when I lived in Germany for a little bit... It's, the most, it's efficient the t- delivery, but, at, yeah. but depressing <laughs> as hell. At the end of every day, like, or whatever, I would have to, like... Whenever I ran out of food, I would get a pang of anxiety. Because it meant I had to go to the grocery store. And, not, and it wasn't about the grocery shopping. It was about the checkout experience that I was stressed. Because the, the counter, like, the checkout like lady or man, whoever was there was so fast and efficient with their checkout. Well, like, Aldi no... famously, they don't use a, a barcode scanner because it's too slow and they don't have that many items in the store. So the, 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 so the salesperson yeah, has to memorize all the articles and the three digit code for each article. But it's like you're in the 1960s and Yeah. <laughs> they're like typing on a keyboard like they're touch typists. Yeah. Like, but it's faster than scanning a barcode. Like, I, it takes less than 30 seconds to check out of an Aldi. And by the end, you're scrambling to get your food into the bags. You can't get the food into the bags. <laughs> it's like the Sip Nazi episode and, of Seinfeld. And, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'll, and, I'll leave, I'll leave. And then they're yelling at you in German. Anyway, so I think it's a great uh, field recording for, the, for, the, for efficiency. They have figured it out at Aldi. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds like 50 cent. Oh, my God. Yeah. They're just genius. Okay. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Listen to this. <laughs> Thank you. Bye.